All right, so um, <clears throat> we're gonna be we're gonna be doing we're getting into doctrinal studies uh, today. Um, as you guys can see on your guys' study sheet, there's two things to make mention of. Number one, my apologies for how jacked up it kind of looks because your vision is not going bad. Uh, we had printer problems, and so that was the result. So you can at least read it, but you just got to focus a little bit more. Um, and then if you notice on the front and back, we've got a ton to get through. So we're not going to be able to look up every single verse. Um, but I would really like to, but we're not going to be able to. So we're going to look up some, but I wanted to give you everything. I even trimmed down a little bit, but I wanted to give you everything that I had as far as the verse references go, because this stuff is very, very important. If you don't have anything to do right now in your morning devotions, I would take some of this stuff and I would look it up myself. Um, sometimes some of you guys struggle with where to go or what to read. Well, this would be a great idea. Some of this stuff are, this is really, really important stuff. So I wanted to give you um, all of that information. All right. So before we begin, though, um, I do want to talk a little bit about um, the uh, the picture that I had on the, on the screen from last week. Didn't have time to do slides this week, but open up your Bibles to Matthew, Matthew chapter. Let's see here. Oh, which one is it? Of course, my picture is gone. Why is it gone? Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. So we had a picture up on the screen last week. And I told you that there's a passage that I wanted to go through. And I said that we would do it um, the following week. But Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to do verse 24 through 29. But you remember the picture? What was it? Yes, so we had, I don't have a green marker, so we're going to just pretend the grass is on fire. <laughs> All right, so we got our grass here, and you got your root system underneath, right? And then, at the very bottom, because we're talking about spiritual growth, so this is the representation of spiritual growth, what do you have on the bottom? The foundation, right, of what? <coughs> What was it? Anybody remember? The Bible. Yes, the Word of God. So you had the Word of God. Word OG. And then you had up on top of that, what was up here? Anybody? Anyone remember? Come on, come on, come on. This is the Bible, the Word of God. That's the Bible. But then the next one up from there. What would be the very first thing? What would be the very first thing? Like when you're, okay, when you're thinking about, because we're, we're talking about doctrine, we're talking about theology. So we're going to eventually get to other things. Like we're going to talk about angels. We're going to talk about hell. We're going to talk about heaven. We're going to talk about death. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about salvation. Before you even get to salvation, you have to start somewhere. So your doctrine comes from the word of God. It's our source. But the very first thing that you have to understand before you move on to other stuff is? Creation. Not creation. God. Yes, you got to start. Got to start. Too complicated. You guys are thinking way too complicated. You got to start start talking about God, the doctrine of God. You start there. So because he's the one that created everything. He's the source of everything. So you got to start there. And so we're going to start there. Because then from the doctrine of God, then you can start to build these other bricks. This is absolutely terrible. My apologies. Just draw one big Sorry. box. I would, but I want to make it complicated, like this answer. I want... <laughs> so you start building your doctrine, your theology, based on God himself. And we know God because of his word. God and his word can never be separated, ever, ever. 
This is how this always works. People that think that they can believe in God, but yet not believe the Bible are crazy people. It doesn't work like that. If you're going to believe in God, you must believe the Bible, and you must believe all of the Bible. You can't pick and choose certain pieces and parts. The Word of God is the reflection of God himself. It's called the mind of Christ. So we have to start there. And then from there, you can get to some other stuff. So we're going to talk about some basics about God. And there's so many things that I would love to get into, but we're just not going to have all the time. But we will hit some of the high points. But like I said, if you don't have a place to go for your morning devotions or your devotions during study hall, or if you've got some time, please, 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 please look into this stuff. Because I'm telling you, it will help you tremendously. Okay, so the first thing that we have to talk about in relation to the doctrine of God is how can I know that God exists? This is the question that every atheist tries to stump every Christian with. How can I absolutely know 100% that God exists? Because you can. Even though you can't see him, you can't talk with him face to face, you can know for 100% certainty that God exists. And there are three proofs that you can know for sure that God exists. So proof number one, Proof from Scripture. Proof from Scripture that God exists. The Bible says so. Go to Genesis 1.1. Wait, I already had you Matthew chapter 7. We'll get to it later. We don't have time. I'm sorry. We'll do it later. Go to Genesis 1. Look up the Matthew 7 one later. If you didn't write it down, Matthew 7. 24. Through 29. Matthew 7, 24 through 29. Look that one up later. It goes right in line with that thing that I just mentioned. All right, so Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. All right, verse 1. Somebody read it. No, uh, the what? Okay, you trailed off. In the beginning, God created them. All right, yes, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So in the beginning, God. So here's something that is absolutely fantastic, just with that statement alone. What does it tell you? In the beginning, God. Okay, God was at the beginning. When there's nothing else, there's God. What else? God certainly did do something in the beginning. The Bible doesn't give you any explanation about God. It says, in the beginning, God. That's it. The Bible doesn't have the, have the sense or the feeling as if it has to try to explain to you that God exists. God is. He exists. The Bible says so. Like, this is just common. Like, if you were to go outside and look outside and say... Okay, it's cloudy today. Well, duh. You can look and you can see it. That's kind of how the Bible treats God. God is, in the beginning, God. So that should tell you something, because in our society and in our culture, that's not enough for people. But that's enough for the Bible. And if that's enough for the Bible, that should be enough for us. Why do we feel the need to prove that he exists when the Bible just says, in the beginning, God? God felt no need to give any explanation about himself, why he did what he did, or anything. He started off his his entire book, In the Beginning, God. So, 
if you're doubting about the existence of God, that's because it's not from God. It's not. Because God is very, very simple. He's very plain. He doesn't give you any explanation about where he came from. Because a lot of people ask, like, where did God come from? When was his beginning? God doesn't give you any of that. He's like, I just am. And that's what he told Abraham. I am. So he told Moses. That's what Jesus told the Pharisees. I am. I am. That's it. Is that enough for you? It should be. That should be enough for you to know that God exists. If not, there's some other things that are going on. And you're struggling with a heart of unbelief. Because if you can't get past that, something very, very simple like that, then there's some other deep-seated issues. There's a reason why you don't want God to exist. There's a reason. And that's why atheists hate God. They don't want him in their life. They don't want even the concept of him because they don't want someone that's over them that is going to pass judgment upon them one day. If you struggle with the existence of God, it's because you don't want him to exist. And he doesn't owe you anything in the beginning, God. That's the most important thing that I can tell you right now as far as the existence of God. And I hope that's enough for you. Go to Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Just a few books over. And someone else go to Psalm 14.1. Psalm 14.1. Okay, you got that one. Deuteronomy 4, everybody else. Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy 4. And I love verses like this in the Bible. A lot of the verses that are on here echo this same sort of uh, feeling that we're going to get out of this one, the same, same line of thinking. Deuteronomy 4, verse 39. Know therefore this day and consider it in thine heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath. There is none else. There is nothing else. In the beginning, God, and there is nothing else. doesn't matter what anyone else tells you doesn't matter what anybody else believes. There is nothing else. There is nothing else. Everybody else that believes something else, the day they die, they realize there is God and there is none else. They realize that. And at that point, it's way too late. But there is nothing else. Nothing else. And if you want to try that out and try to figure out if there is something else, go for it. But I'm telling you, it's not true. It is absolutely not true. It will end up in vanity and emptiness. Psalm 14.1. Go ahead, Kent. Fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, they have done abominable works, there is none that doeth good. Okay, so someone that says there is no God, the Bible says they are a fool. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. So people that do not believe in God, do not want to believe in God, do not want to believe in the existence of God, the Bible labels them a fool. They are a fool. They are foolish. And it is absolutely true. They are. So... The Bible declares that God is. So there's proof from Scripture. It's all over the place in Scripture. And so from the very first word of the Bible, the very first words of the Bible, the Bible testifies that God exists. And there's no argument about his existence. None of it. The reality of God is just as sure as the sun will rise in the morning. All right, so that is the first point. Proof from Scripture. Second point. Proof from nature. Now let's get some readers. Everyone turn to Romans 1 if you don't want to read. Um, if you want to read out loud, Psalm 19.1. Okay, Noah, Jack, go ahead and take Psalm 33, 6 through 9. Um, and then let's see here. We'll do two more. Psalm 139. You got that one. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. And then one more. Psalm 48, 13. Go ahead. You got that. Brief. Psalm 48, 13. Everyone else go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. 
Romans chapter 1. If you understand these things with your heart, you will be able to handle yourself when it comes to evangelizing or defending the faith with atheists and people that believe other things. And I meant what I said. You need to believe these things with your heart, not with your head. If you believe them with your head, then you're never gonna, it's never going to work out. You need to believe them with your heart. So proof from Scripture, now proof from nature. Listen to Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his name. Love those verses. The heavens declare the glory of God. You are an idiot if you walk outside and observe the sun, the moon, looking at the stars at night, looking and observing the universe and the way that it works, if you don't understand that God exists. How can it be? When all you look out, when you look out into the solar system and into the stars and the vast of space and you see order, design, I mean, how everything fits together, just even the simple facts alone about the earth, you know, that if we were one degree off, we'd burn or freeze. The things would be dramatically different. I mean, the position of the earth just within our solar system, the position of our solar system within our galaxy, the position of our galaxy within the universe. I mean, you understand some of these things and it is like, it is mind blowing. The things that need to be in existence upon a planet for life to exist and how we meet every, every credential. And there's not a single planet out there that meets that same credential. Science will try to tell you that. They say, oh, we found potential habitable planets. Okay, we'll go there and find it and find living things on it. You're not going to find it. You're not going to find it. I don't care how much they want to argue. The reason why they want that to be true is because they want God to be a liar. That's why. Because they're a fool. Because they say in their heart there is no God. So from the very moment that you step outside and you start observing the creation, observing the sky, observing the universe, observing, I mean, you can clearly see that God exists. And if you don't believe that God exists after looking at that kind of stuff, then you be dumb. You're absolutely dumb. You study the human body. The doctors still can't figure out. It is so complex. Study the eye. It is so phenomenal. They've never been able to create anything close to what God has created in the eyeball. And yet we've been around for 6,000 years. I mean, there are things like that. It's just, it is, it is a no-brainer. It's like we shouldn't even be talking about the issue. God exists. Romans chapter 1, look at verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So just by taking a look at creation, you can understand God's eternal power and Godhead. And there is not a single person in all of human history that will be able to stand before God and give God some sort of an argument about why he doesn't exist and why they're an atheist or why they're an agnostic when all they can do is just step outside and God exists. Like, that's all God has to do. At the judgment seat of uh, the great white throne judgment, I mean, just think about that for a second. They're standing before him. You don't exist. And God looks at them like, ah, I gave you this, 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 and it was right in front of your face the whole time. I did exist. You just chose not to see me. That's the culture we live in today, and it is very dangerous, very, very dangerous. Listen to Psalm 33, 6 through 9. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of one by the breath of his mouth. He gathered the waters of the sea together as a hand. He laid up in the depths of 
Love those verses. I tell you, when I get, there are certain places that I go that I, I'm, I'm serious. When I'm standing, like I've been on the edge of a, of a cliff and I've been overlooking a valley where it has this just beautiful river and there's these white fluffy clouds in the sky. The sun is shining. And I mean, you know what it does in me? It causes me to have goosebumps because of God's creation and to see everything that he's done. I've told you stories about how when I was younger, I would go up to Canada and we'd go to the highest part of this area by a lake and we'd lay back on our backs and we'd just stare at the stars for hours. And we'd see shooting star, shooting star, shooting star, satellite, you know? And we'd see that, I mean, it was breathtaking, absolutely breathtaking. I mean, and it gives me goosebumps. And you see stuff like that, just for the fact that God created all these things, then God says, let all the earth and all the inhabitants stand in awe of him and fear before him. Man, I'm telling you, just spend some time out in nature and you know God's majesty. You know God's magnificence. You know his power. You get to see everything. I mean, who can do that? So you're telling me, you go out there, you're telling me that all that stuff just happened, huh, just because. Like it just boop, giant accident that took however many billions of years to just randomly occur. Okay, there's no evidence of that whatsoever at all. At all. It takes more faith to be an atheist and to believe that God doesn't exist than to actually believe that God exists and he designed everything as is. Way more. Because you go, I mean, just go. Just go and look. Observe. And you can see very clearly that God exists. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For thou hast possessed my race. Okay, so if you don't want to go out and study creation, just look at yourself. Just look at yourself. Now, we live in a society where I think a lot of people put themselves down. And I understand that because we are sinful people, for sure. But you are magnificent. I mean, there is no one else like you. The way you are, the way you think, the way God designed you, there's no one else that's like you. And you might not see yourself of any value. And if that's the truth, like if you actually believe that, then you are a liar. You're lying to yourself. You are incredibly valuable. You didn't have to exist. God put you here. He made sure that you were born from your mother and in your family. You didn't have to be here. But he gave you life and you are here today. And you just understand who you are as a person and that there's never going to be anyone like you. I mean, I look at every, every single one. I love all my kids. And they are so different. And so, you know, yeah, they've got their shortcomings. But, I mean, I could have never imagined anything like my kids. And how God has put them together, their personalities, the things they like, the things they don't like, the things they enjoy doing, the things they don't enjoy doing, the relationship I have with them. I mean, it is, it is stunning. My kids are stunning to me. 
and I'm an earthly father. I mean, think about God and think about what he feels about you. You are extremely valuable to him. And there is no one like you. There is no one. That's why I love Psalm 139. Listen to Psalm 48, 13. Is that Psalm 48:13? Okay, but I might have had the wrong reference. Oh, you know, it was Isaiah 48:13. My bad, my bad. All right, so we'll just pass over that one. All right, so Isaiah 48:13. So that's my fault. I didn't see the Isaiah right there, right in front of my face. So, but Isaiah 48:13. Just look up all these verses. They're so, so, so good. So proof from Scripture, proof from nature, and then thirdly, and this probably is the most powerful one, and that is proof from conscience. Proof from conscience. So we're already in Romans. Um, go to Romans 1, 19. We're going to read that one. And then we're going to read chapter 2. Okay, proof from conscience. Verse 19, Romans 1, 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. So every human being has something that God manifests inside of them that he exists and that he is real. Every human being. Okay, very important. Go to chapter 2 and take a look at this. We've gone through this verse many times, but it is very powerful, something that we need to make sure that we are all on the same page with. So chapter 2, verse 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. Man, he said law a lot in that verse. All right, so... What he's saying here is, is that Gentiles don't have the law of God. They do not obey the Old Testament. They do not obey the Levitical law. But it says they do by nature things contained in the law. So there's something inside of them that causes them to do what God has written in the book of Leviticus, Exodus, Deuteronomy, and other places in the Bible. Like the Ten Commandments. Really clear. There's been so many observations about people going into a tribe of people that have never had human contact, and yet they have similar moral standards as what you would find in the Ten Commandments. There's a reason for that, because God put it inside of them, and they as a society in their own little bubble decided we need a moral code. Now, it's not perfect, but we need a moral code, and it lines up very, very similar to what the Ten Commandments actually say. So here's the reason, verse 15. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Okay, so you have a law of God written in your heart, and God has given you a conscience, which conscience, what is that? What is a conscience? Anyone know the definition of that word, if you were to break it down? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, we can, we can take that in many different directions. There's a little voice that's speaking in your head. It's not just me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's you. What about I hear five? Okay, so, all right. So, conscience, all right? Con. Science. Okay? Very simple. If you break this down, con, what does this mean? Con man. <laughs> con man. With. All right? Science. What does science mean? Knowledge. <laughs> Bill Nye. No. Bill Nye is a liar. Okay. <laughs> Conscience with knowledge. So God has put something inside of you that gives you knowledge about things. That's what it really means. Okay? 
So there's this law that's written in your heart, and then God has given you a conscience. Your conscience tells you what God's law says. This is very, very simple. Every single one of us has experienced this. I've shared this story many, many times. I've shared the story about the first time that I realized that I had done something wrong. You guys remember it? When I was little, I wanted to go take a bath. My mom told me to go take a bath. Remember this one? Okay. And I so badly wanted to take with me Hot Wheels. Yes, because who wouldn't, right? Take my Hot Wheels to bath. To boats? Whatever. Whatever. Hot Hot Wheels is where it's at. All right. Yeah. Okay. So I so badly want to take my Hot Wheels with me, right? So my mom's like, don't take anything with you. No toys, no Hot Wheels, nothing. Just get undressed and go to the bath. So I go back to my room. And so then I begin to have a fight with myself. <laughs> because deep down, I wanted my Hot Wheels with me in the bath. Right? Okay. So what ended up happening was, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get undressed. But I'm going to leave my shirt on. Because I'm going to take a few Hot Wheels and I'm going to put them in my shirt and I'm going to roll them up and I'm going to casually walk down the hallway quickly, not alarming anybody, but casually, and I'm going to get into the bath because I want to take my Hot Wheels. So I'm looking, make my move, start going down the hallway, and my mom comes out of her bedroom and she's like, what do you have in your shirt? I'm like, ah, and I just started crying. I couldn't even say nothing. Ah. And I opened up my shirt, and there was the Hot Wheels, and I got in big, 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 big trouble. That was the first time that I remember that I sinned against my mother. And what happened was, is that, I'm sorry, every time I, I say that verse, what happened was, I think of Tim Finley in Mexico, because he started doing this thing with Brian Brown, where he's like, well, what happened was, and so then, now that's stuck in my head every time I say that. So what happened was, all right, sorry, side note. All right. <laughs> so anyway, so... What occurred <laughs> was that I had this internal struggle inside of me where I'm like, you know, you know what your mother said. Now, if you do this, you're going to get in trouble. If you do this and she finds out, you're going to get in trouble. And so I decided to take the risk anyway. But I knew, I knew, I knew that I sinned against my mother. I knew I broke what she told me to do. I knew it. And that was my conscience. And I don't know if you can think back to the first time that you knew that you did something wrong, but I guarantee you there's a similar story that you were told to do something. You knew clearly that there was going to be a consequence because your conscience is yelling at you saying, don't do it. If you do it, you're going to get in trouble. And then you choose to either ignore it and do whatever you want anyway, or listen to it and change your ways. So that's exactly what it just says. Look at verse 15 again, which show the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience also bearing witness. So God puts a law in your heart and then your conscience bears witness to that law and what you're about to do and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing, telling you that what you're going to do is wrong or else excusing one another. Ah, it's not that big of a deal. It's really not that big of a deal. Okay, every single one of us, one of us goes through this. That alone, that whole act of your conscience bearing witness to God's law, and then you having thoughts of, well, maybe if I do this, or I can justify it, or I can explain it, or I can, or, you know what, that's actually right. I shouldn't do that. I'm not going to do it. That process proves God exists. That process alone proves God exists because right here, that law was written in your heart by God. God gave you a conscience to tell you right from wrong, and you are the one that ends up having the result of either obedience or disobedience. 
That whole act proves God exists. How can you explain that? Evolution? Yes, morality was just a cultural construct of people over time. Ridiculous. You are a fool. That was put there by God from the very beginning. From the very I don't have to teach my kids to do wrong. I have to teach them to do right. Who put that there? God did. God did. Sin nature and the conscience, God's law, all of it, all that conflict, all that internal conflict you have when you sin, that is evidence that God exists. So between those three things, that proves that God exists. And no one can deny that. They might be able to fight against the Bible, but they really can't win because God's actually going to use the Bible to judge them at the last day. You can't really argue from nature, even though they're going to try, but you especially can't argue from their conscience. Everybody has a testimony inside of them that God exists. All right, so God exists. He has overwhelmingly proven this truth through the testimony of the scriptures, nature, and especially our own conscience. This common sense fact is so simple and unmistakable that the Bible takes it for granted and finds no need to defend it. Every atheist has, every atheist had to be educated out of this reality into their own fantasy and unto their own destruction. It's always a matter of the heart. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God, Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, verse 1. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God, Romans 14, 11. All right, flip it. And we're going to get through this really quickly. All right, so after we come to the conclusion of that God exists, then we got to talk about the attributes of God, the attributes of God. Now, these are going to be very, very simple. Um, I'm just going to pick one verse per uh, point here, and I'm going to have you guys read it, except for one of them. We'll read together, and then we'll kind of get through this. But understanding God's attributes. So what is his personality and his nature like? <coughs> so there's two things. There's the communicable attributes of God and the incommunicable. Try to say that a ton of times fast. The communicable, communi- <laughs> there we go. The communicable attributes and the incommunicable attributes. It's very easily understood. So communicable simply means capable of being imparted from one to another. Characteristics of God that that he can convey to mankind so that mankind can understand them. Uh, But the incommunicable ones are different. These are things not capable of being imparted from one to another. Characteristics that God and mankind cannot, of God that mankind cannot understand through natural human ability, reasoning, or senses. So the incommunicable stuff are the things that make your mind explode because you can't understand them. Whereas the communicable ones are ones you're like, okay, I get that because it's in you. Part of these things are in you so you can understand them much better. So give me some readers. All right, let's do 1 Samuel 2.2. 2. Carson, you got that one. Uh, Deuteronomy 32.4, Jack. Um, let's see here. Hannah, go ahead and take, um, let's see here, Revelation 1, 8, and 11. And then Malachi 3.6, you got that one. And we're going to do Numbers you want that one? Numbers 23, 19. Got that one? And then I need three more. Psalm 33, 9. Got that one? Um, let's see here. Job 42, 2. Come on. I need a few more. Got that one? And then you can take, let's see, Jeremiah 23, 23, and 24. All right. So understanding the communicable attributes of God. So first of all, God is holy. Now, I would argue that holiness is something that we don't completely understand, but we get the concept of it. We don't understand holiness like God does because God is 100% holy. We are 100% not. So we can understand things like perfection only in a finite fashion, only finite. Like 
in clean clothes versus dirty. Like, that's how we can understand it. But it's very hard for us to understand holiness, like true, true holiness. So listen to 1 Samuel 2.2. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Okay, so there is none holy like God, and this is why we can't completely understand it. We can understand the concept, we can't understand it in its entirety. So the Bible says that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And that God dwells in the light which no man can approach unto. So this picture of light is probably the best way for us to understand this. God is so holy that if our unholy eyes were to behold him, we would perish. Like he is so holy and so righteous that if he were to show up at your doorstep, you would be vaporized. You'd be done. And that's why every time you see someone in the Bible come face to face with God, what do they do? They fall to their face. And there's part of me where I tend to believe that they actually die in that moment. And the only reason why God keeps them alive or brings them back to life is because God says so. But every time you see them coming face to face with God, I mean, boom. Joshua, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, he hit the deck. John in Revelation, he sees Jesus, he hits the deck. Daniel comes face with God, hits the deck. Isaiah hits the deck. I mean, every single one of them, boom, boom, boom. It's almost like the reaction is they see it and they're like, I mean, they just fall down. There's just no strength left in them. And there's no choice but for them to fall down on their face. That's how holy God is. We don't understand that, but we need to understand that because it's very important. Because if God were to show up in your life, things would be very, very different. And by the way, he is in your life constantly, so things should be different. Very important. So God is holy. He's just. Deuteronomy 32, 4. He is the rock. He is perfect for all of Okay, so God is just because he's full of truth and without iniquity, completely righteous. Sin must be judged justly under his holy rule and authority. Can't be overlooked. All those that stand before the Lord at the great white throne judgment are going to be swiftly judged according to God's holy and perfect standard. There's no respect of persons before the just judge. That's what it means to be a just judge. Rich or poor, weak or strong, Educated or uneducated, cultural leader, commoner, doesn't matter. All will be judged justly and given what they deserve. That's what it means to be just. He doesn't prefer one person over another because he's holy and he's perfect. He has to be just. He gives people what they deserve. And then lastly, God is love. Go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. In verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Very important. So God's definition of love is sacrifice. Specifically, sacrificing himself for those that are his enemies. That's how he defines love. God had no reason. Like When I look at these things, I, 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 there's more than this as far as the communicable, communicable attributes. But when I look at his holiness, his justice, and his love, those three really shape everything else. 
Because God is holy. He's perfect. He's just. So he treats everyone the same. He treats everyone the same. They get what they deserve. He doesn't prefer one person over another. But yet he loves everyone. See, people think because you love someone, then you have to do things that are unjust. Like, well, because I love you, I'll pass over it. No, 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 no. That's not how God works. God loves us. He can't pass over it. So he has to do something in the process. So he decides, all right, I'm going to be the one that's going to take the sins of all humanity. So that way I can actually love them properly. Because I love them, but I'm holy and I'm just, so I have to do something about it. Very important for you guys to really get this. So the world's understanding of love is nothing more than purified, or nothing more than, I'm sorry, glorified lust. That's all it is. The world, all they do is it's just, it's just glorified lust. They don't even understand what true love actually is. It doesn't even come close. The Bible says that God is love and that he's truly loved us. His love is clearly displayed through Jesus Christ on the cross. And if it wasn't without him, man, we would have no, we would have no hope. So these three things, like I said, there's more, but these three really give you a good frame of God's nature, that he's holy and without fault, and he's perfect, and he's just. He can't overlook sin. He has to deal with sin, but yet he's love, and so he decided to take sin upon himself for all mankind. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. All right. So I just covered that. We could hit that paragraph. We don't have time to hit that paragraph, so you can read that later. All right, so these three, these three are big ones. The incommunicable ones, the ones that make your mind melt. That God is eternal. Listen to Revelation 1, 8, and 11. So God has no beginning and no end. Try to understand that one. I mean, think about that for a second. When did God begin? He didn't. What? Like, honestly, we have a hard time with this because we are creatures of time. You have a start date and you have an expiration date. (laughs) You have a start date and you have an end date. The day you're going to die. But when you die, you actually don't have an end date. You continue on forever. But you have a start date. And so for us to think about this, it, it completely boggles our mind. How can something not have a beginning? Something has to have a beginning. No, no, no. God is eternal. He doesn't have a beginning. He always was. Always. Well, what about before mankind? Yes. So you're telling me like an eternity past when there was no human beings, no universe, no planet, that God was just there. It was just God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and they were together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What did they talk about? I don't know. Probably all sorts of things. I don't know. It doesn't matter. He's eternal. He has no beginning. No beginning. Okay? Very important to understand. God is eternal. Number two, God is unchangeable. Malachi 3 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. And then Numbers 23 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Okay. He doesn't change at all. Malachi 3.6 is the most clear one. I, the Lord, I change not. I am the Lord, I change not. So since God is eternal, holy, perfect, pure, true, and righteous, there's no reason for him to change. Why would he? Like, we change as human beings because we grow and we mature. We can become better. We can do other things. But God never changes because he's perfect and he's eternal. He always was. He always will be. He's just. He's righteous. He's holy. He has no reason to change. 
If he wore pants, he would never change those. God has no reason to change. I know, right? But way better. <laughs> he has no reason to change. Like, there's no reason for God to change. Now, God changes how he deals with mankind throughout the centuries, but he has no reason to change. None. And then lastly, number three, God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresence. These are the three omnis. Omnipotent. I think we did Psalm 33, 9 for that one, right? Yeah. Okay. For he spake and it was done, he commanded and it stood fast. Omnipotent simply means he has all power. God spoke and it existed. Can you do that? No. No, no, no. It would be nice. Can you imagine laying in your bed? Ah, I need to wake up in the morning. Make me pancakes. Boom, and it happens. Clothes, get on me. Boom, and it happens. I mean, no, we can't do stuff like that. I mean, you can't. There's no way. So we don't have that ability. God has the ability to do anything that he wants because he is all-powerful. He can speak something into existence. He is omniscient. Job 42.2. I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. No thought is withholden from God. Not a single thought. Every thought you have had and will have, God sees clearly and he knows it inside and out. Very important. Because you know what you think on a daily basis? I mean, think about the things you think on a daily basis. And God still loves you. And he knows you unbelievably well. You might struggle with things with your walk with God or with his, his existence or your purpose or whatever, and he still cares about you. He still loves you, and he's never going to give up on you, ever. I love that about God. He's omniscient. He knows everything, everything, about everything, ever. Omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. Jer- Jeremiah 23. Go ahead. I am God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? So you can't hide from God. He sees every secret place that ever existed, never will exist, and he fills heaven and earth and the entire universe. There is not one place in this universe where he isn't. Think about that one for a second. God is here and he's there and he's there and he's way out there and he's way at the end of the universe and back. He's in the deep sea in both places, by the way, in the universe, there's two, there's two seas. He's in both places. He knows that his is at the end of all of it. He knows everything. He fills the entire thing. He knows everything about you. Like we said already, your thoughts, wherever you go, he's there. He sees everything. I mean, everything, everywhere. This is, this is I mean, this is, should change your life. Some of this stuff should really change your life. It should, it should change how you see yourself, how you see other people, how you see circumstances, how you see your decisions, how you see everything. Because if you walk around understanding that God always is and he always will be, so I better submit to him because he's ultimately in charge. He never changes, so I can always rely upon him. He's a rock that will never move. And God is all-powerful, so he can do whatever he wants. He can rescue me out of the most dire circumstances. He knows my thoughts, and yet he still loves me. And he knows everywhere that I go and sees everything that I do. So I should really be careful because I should care about him and his opinions. I mean, just those simple things alone should change your entire reality. So knowing God's attributes should really change your walk with God. That he exists, he's holy, just, and he's loving, that he's eternal, unchangeable, 
and these omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent should literally change everything that you see about God. So you really need to chew on some of this stuff. So I would really challenge you, if you got nowhere that you're reading this week, or even if you do, take a break and read some of this stuff. Get into some of these things. Chew on some of these verses and really get into them because it will change everything. Like we already talked about from the very beginning, right here. And we'll close. The Word of God determines your doctrine. And the first thing we look at is your doctrine of God. And if your doctrine of God is off, everything else is off. So this is of utmost importance for you guys to really understand in your heart and in your mind. All right, let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you so much for your word and the things that you teach us. I pray that we would take these things and run with them. We love you very much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.